foolishly. Like I'm a, I took my idiot pill. I said, oh, okay, that sounds good. You treat me so, right this time. Yeah, this, this one's really going to work. Well, okay, so now, now my bills went up to $6,000 a month. And within a few months, the $100,000 that I had made was gone from the house, right? Gone. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk. But to win big, you've got to reduce it. Go to MyWorstInvestmentEver.com and join our Facebook group to connect with our community of guests and fellow listeners. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Academy. And I'm here with featured guest, Harry Spate. Harry, are you ready to rock? I am ready. This is fun. I am ready, too. It's been a great time that you and I have had to get to know each other before we turned on the recorder. And I'm really looking forward to introducing you to the audience. In particular, I just love having people like you on who are experts in sales because as a financial guy, well, I have to confess, it's not my strength. (laughs) So, ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce you to Harry Spate. Harry is a keynote speaker, coach, and author of... Selling with Dignity, your formula for life-changing sales results. After spending several years in mission work, Harry has been succeeding in sales as an award-winning multi-million dollar sales producer and sales leader for over two decades. Selling successfully can be achieved with timeless principles, putting others over self, being a good listener, and doing the right thing all go a long way towards growing a successful business. My goodness. Harry, take a minute and fill any further tidbits about your life. Well, first of all, Andrew, thanks a heck of a lot for having me on the show. This is a blast. You got quite the uh, intellectual stimulus going on with me, talking about civil war and whatever else we're talking about. So, It's hard for me not to have a couple of chuckles. So my background is all about helping others, serving people and having some laughs along the way. So I'm really looking forward to this. You know, my my big thing is uh, it's all about serving, helping entrepreneurs and small businesses to be better at selling themselves. So if I can help in any way, I'm here to do that. That's awesome. And, you know, I want you to talk just briefly about your book, Selling with Dignity. And just, you know, let the audience know what they would expect to gain from getting it. And we'll have links in the show notes to it. And for any listeners, you can also go to sellingwithdignity.com to get it. But, you know, here we have the author. Tell us, what would we get from downloading and, you know, reading that book? Yeah, great question. So what do you think of salespeople, Andrew? Well, I think that when I was younger, I thought they were weaselly. I thought they were, you know, manipulative. I thought all of those things. And now as I got older, I realized they perform an amazing function that I'm not that good at. Okay. So your first impression, though, sticks with a lot of people. So I'm pretty sure that we could ask your entire audience and most people would rather run and get away from salespeople than stand around and, or, you know, stay on the phone and speak with them. 
There's a statistic that says that from HubSpot that did some research on it that a whopping 3% trust what salespeople say. <laughs> so when our lips are moving, baby, people are not, you know, they're, they're just saying, liar! So that's a problem, right? So whenever a small business owner goes into sales mode and starts promoting themselves, you know, people's eyes glass over and they want to get away. And so this is a challenge. So the reason I wrote the book is I never wanted to be a salesperson. I use my fingers in quotation marks because I didn't like salespeople either. So a great compliment for me over the years was, Harry, you're not like any other salesperson. I don't even view you as a salesperson. And that to me is the money, you know, compliment. So you can do that, right? So I wrote the book to show that you don't need to be pushy. You don't need to be all about yourself. You don't need to be a great speaker, a great talker, you know, great with your vocabulary. You can stutter. You can be, uh, what's the opposite? What is the word I'm looking for where a person is not outgoing? Introvert. Introvert. You, thank you. See, I give definitions and I let my host explain the word. But you can be an introvert, right? And uh, be successful. So it's all based on principles that we all know. And I wrote the book so that you guys can be reminded of those principles and say, oh, that does make sense. Yeah, listen. Oh, okay. Yeah, treat others the way I want to be treated. Yeah, okay. I don't need to be pushy then. So all of that stuff works. And I outline it in the book to put it to daily practice. And, you know, some people like me may hear the message that you just said and think, oh, good. I don't have to do all that sales stuff. I can be authentic and do my thing and create my product and I can, you know, it's about sincerity and all that. And, and then people like me who get into our product and our solution, we then don't, we either don't have a good message for the market of what our product is and, you know, what, what benefit you get for it, or we have a good message, but we don't know the channel and we just can't reach the market. So, you know, there's that, that's another complexity and I'm, I'm set. I'm not asking for a friend. It's my challenge, <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and it's like, okay, I, I have a pretty good message and I got a lot of testimonials of the different things that I do and, you know, all that. And my product, I just never get refunds or complaints and all that for my online courses and all that stuff. And basically, I just find it really hard to reach the market. And, and that, that's one aspect of it that, that it's hard for me. Any thoughts yeah. or advice for people yeah, like I me? Yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, so there's, that's a great, again, great questions. And I love the fact that you're telling me real, you know, issues. So what the challenge with many, and Andrew, I don't know you well enough, but like, for instance, many who are doing financial planning, I just went to a network event uh, a few weeks ago, one that had probably 40 people in the room. There were four financial planners, all four of them said, I do financial planning. And here's, my name is, I do financial planning, wealth strategies, blah, 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 insurance, blah, blah, blah. So who cares, right? There is no story in that. I'm not warmed up to you. I, I'm gonna go find someone that actually is gonna make me laugh or educate me or give me their why. 
right? Tell me why you're, maybe you're a financial planner because your life, your finances were screwed up. And you said, the only way I can get my hands around this is if I go neck deep into it and actually become a financial planner and help people instead of saying, I do. My name is Harry Spate. I do financial planning. I'm the smartest guy in the room. I know more about money than you do. Hand over all your assets to me because I'm going to make you wealthy. Right. Okay. Mm. Why would I do that? So that's problem number one is people have no no emotion and no story and no why. And then the other thing is they're just dispensing how smart they are. Right. And people don't like the smartest guy or smartest gal in the room because, again, they want to see some kind of vulnerability that you've made mistakes in life. And this is why I think I have an immediate love for you, because you're bringing out failures, including my own, which I'm afraid of. (laughs) (laughs) So let's follow that up for just a moment. And, you know, I, I had a guest on my show who was the only CEO in the world with a pink mohawk. Okay, that's interesting. Yes, and his name is Chris Reed, and uh, he's from Singapore. And Chris has a very unique thing. He also has something else. He's the only guy I know who has 1,600 recommendations on LinkedIn that people recommending him. Yeah. So it's like I'm the CEO with the Mohawk, 1,600 recommendations can't be wrong. That's a nice number. Yeah, 1,600 recommendations can't be wrong. Right. And so he taught me and taught me to think about kind of what's my red or pink mohawk. So I I changed around some things about the way I present myself. And now basically my presentation is simple. I'm the worst podcast host of my worst investment ever podcast. And I don't talk about all my products and all of my different things that Mm -hmm. I do. And I do a lot of different things. But I found that that was like the most unique thing that I do. And I made it even more impactful by saying, I'm the worst podcast host. Of course, I'm not really the worst, but you know, <laughs> well, I what, a, what, a, what a relief to be able to say that, you know, like, yeah. it's like, don't blame me. Cause I already told you I'm the worst podcast host. <laughs> but the point is, is that, so one of the things I'm taking away from what you're saying is you've got to try to grab people's attention through story, through emotion, through something unique. You just can't go up and say, I am the 457th financial advisor that you've met. <laughs> Yes, but 457 isn't a really good number. Yes, I'm unique. Exactly. <laughs> right, yeah. But okay. I think that, I, think that I, I can say that, that I'm the worst podcast host of my worst investment ever is pretty unique, you know. Yeah, I've never heard it before yet. Yeah. And uh, if I hear in a network where two or three people say they're the worst podcast host, I'm going to let you know. But until then, you uh, have free reign right now. Yeah. And the second thing then is like, how do we, I mean, like I've found LinkedIn as a channel to reach people with my message. What is your kind of advice for people about, how do you think about the channel of how you reach? Let's say you've, 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 people have read your book. They understand how to sell with dignity. They understand that. They've built some kind of unique kind of pitch about who they are that's compelling. And now, now they got to reach that market. What is your advice in that space? Yeah, I mean, uh, great question. I think I'll tell you a story quickly. I was speaking to a very nice woman the other day. She does a lot of great things about sales, coaching, author. And she mentioned she didn't have any views on LinkedIn. And I get, I, I don't have a ton of 
followers, connections. I have about 2,500. Yep. So I'm not really happy with my posts if I have fewer than 1,000 views. Okay, if I get 800, it's okay. But if I get 150, I'm not happy at all. I said, okay, that post sucked. There's something wrong with it. I've got to do better. So anyway, that's kind of my benchmark. You know, sometimes I'll get 5,000, sometimes 15,000, which, you know, is astronomical for someone with 2,500 connections. Yep. So why, why am I saying all this? Well, I looked at the posts of this person and they were all telling the audience what they need to do. Mm. Okay. No personality, no, you know, no mistakes made. I mean, the vulnerability, you know, I just refer to it as being genuine, right? Are you genuine? Do people see the real you? And a lot of people hide behind their intelligence. They hide behind their books. I will tell you in my book, I talk about things that I did that I regret, Right. Mm. Uh, you know, I'll cut, I cut my nose off to spite my face before in my life. And those are not great decisions, but I'm going to share that with you. Right. And when I put out posts like that, they get the biggest traction. Mm. Right. And so you, you need to mix. We all need to mix what we do, how we help little education. I throw in comedy because I, I like to laugh. And I'm self-effacing. I do video. I just started doing video a year and a half ago. Now I'm, hmm. I'm actually pretty good. And I did a video the other day. I hope this is, I'm not talking too long because I hate when I do that. But nope. I'm, it's like nine it. o'clock at night and I'm tired and I'm going to keep going. Let it but go. Like, so I had this video the other day, a couple weeks ago. Doesn't matter. And I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> so I don't know if any of you guys have ever gotten up and spoke to an audience and forgot what you were going to say next. Well, I did. And so instead of deleting the video and starting over, I, I was just calmly just saying, so this is great, isn't it? I really forgot what I was going to say, but I'm going to keep going because I'm going to show you how you do it. Right. You just keep talking and eventually it will come back to you. And after I said that, it came back to me. Yep. And then I picked up from where I left off. That video, I'm telling you, people just loved it because they said, Harry, you're incredible. You're fun. You know, you get it. You show us the real you. This is what we love about you. Mm. And so now I've got my little audience, you know, a couple of thousand people, 500, whatever the number is. They're, you know, I want those people to love me because they see the real me and they're learning from me. Is that, how does that sound? That's great. And I'm just looking at your LinkedIn profile right now. For instance, I see that you did a post about a week ago, a picture with your wife yeah. and looking at, you know, taking a, a time away, beautiful pictures and, you know, that, that kind of, yeah. and, and I see a lot of people like that, you know, so that authenticity, that personal thing. I know sometimes on Sundays, I'll share a little story about my mom because my 83-year-old mother lives with me. And yeah. I'll share a little nice. story and, you know, something about that and try to remind all of us, you know, why are we working so hard? Part of the reason why we're working so hard is we have time for our family. So I that's think great. that's that's great a message. It's huge. Yeah. And, so, you know, you're right. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. So like some people will say, well, that belongs on Facebook. No. Right. 
your life is not work part of the time, live the rest of the time. There's no work-life balance. It's life. So you're going to get my life at work and you're going to get my work at life. Yeah. And that's the way we are. If you're trying to look for work-life balance, I, I don't get that. I never mm-hmm. really got it. And people say, well, seems like you work a lot. No, I'm living, baby. Because there are times when I'm doing where others are working, I am out riding my bike, taking pictures, right? I don't, you know, it's, it's life. And if you show your life and mix it, right? I'm not just saying, you know, this is mm-hmm. what I'm having for lunch. Those are not what I'm showing. But I'm showing get away for a while, breathe, take in the scenery, enjoy it, right? We're not here on this planet forever. Enjoy the moments. And I think a lot of people miss that because they're waiting for the life after work, right? Okay. And I was, uh, I did a post on September 15th saying 39 years ago, I was on my knees in a toilet in a hospital in Louisiana in the throes of addiction and I surrendered yeah, and I got sober and I've been sober for 39 years now. And that was just a simple post, but that post basically really, really, I think not only did it get a lot of engagement, I think it helped a lot of people oh, absolutely. to think about it. So I think, you yeah. know, for everybody out there, consider those kinds of posts that, you know, people do want to see your struggles. And speaking of struggles, that's what this podcast is all about. And now it's time. To share Uh your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it. Then tell us your story. All right. So I'm going to go back in the early 2000s. And I met this person at my job who was a, a really nice kid. I mean, he was probably about 15 years younger than me. A real go getter. Great parents. I played golf with him and his dad, and we just built a great relationship, the father, the son, and myself. And this kid, he ended up moving to uh, out of state. So I lived in Virginia in the U.S. So he moved to South Carolina, which is, you know, probably about six hour drive away. And then he was started getting into real estate. So he called me up and he says, look, I've got this opportunity, investment properties, and we're doing those in Georgia. My parents are involved. I got all these people involved and it's really, you can't lose, right? It was mobile homes for uh, manufactured homes in Georgia, which is even further south. So it would have been a 10 hour drive or a flight to see these properties. And his pitch to me was, look, we're going to take care of everything. And you're going to just collect the money that we give you, right? You give us a little investment, but we're really using your credit and we're going to pay. So I didn't even have an investment. They used my credit. Georgia, which I did not know, had the worst mortgage fraud in the 50 United States. So here I was getting these properties, which was about six properties, I believe, in this small town in Georgia. And we had just sold a house. We made some money on the house. I was getting 
this passive income now from the properties, I was making probably a thousand dollars a month. And I felt like I was living the dream. These guys are taking care of it. They're doing a great job. They're collecting the money. And I'm just collecting a thousand bucks a month. And I got these properties. And I'm like, this is awesome. All right. So then what happened? There's um, the peak. There's the yeah, peak. Yeah. Okay. So that was <laughs> as good as it got. And that was about three months in. And then the blank hit the fan. So what hit the fan? Well, people stopped paying. The property management left and it was a so I I got on a plane and went down and I looked at these properties for the first time I'm sorry about my dogs it's a family show that's these, okay everybody's yeah. invited <laughs> so I looked at these properties parked in a rental car and I went oh my god this is a slum and I mean it was it was frightening. So if you can imagine, one of the properties had chains, that something that you would pull a ship in holding onto uh, Rottweilers. So two Rottweilers with these thick chains, a car on blocks, and here I am. I'm going to go knock on the door and ask for rent money, okay? So I stood at the end of the driveway People were super nice. I mean, they were the nicest people in the world, invited me in only to tell me how many problems they had with the house. And so they brought me into the bathroom. And this place, I'm telling you, was less than six months old. The floor was rotted out. These people did not know that you needed a shower curtain. So they took showers, the floor rotted, and you could see through the through the floor, and that was house number one. I went into others, I mean, stories, oh, I'm sorry, I can't pay the rent, and they had more, better furniture than I did, bigger screen TVs than I had, and I'm like, this is such a nightmare, and I had to go home, tell my wife, and it's like, because my wife was supportive, but she was not, she was not into it. She's like, this is not a good move, but I'm going to trust you, honey. So that $1,000 a month turned into a net of me paying somewhere around $5,000, maybe $4,000 a month in mortgages, okay? So that's pretty expensive. I want you to know that money that I had made from the house sale started to dwindle. So I go back to my friend and I'm like, you screwed me. You need to make up for it. And he says, I know my dad feels the same way. Ties his father back into it. He says, I'm going to give you three more houses and these are better and you're going to make money on those. Foolishly, like I'm a, I took my idiot pill. I said, oh, okay, that sounds good. You treat me so, right this time. Yeah, this, this one's really going to work. Well, okay, so now, now my bills went up to $6,000 a month and within a few months, the $100,000 that I had made was gone from the house, right? Gone. And then we were, uh, you know, we're bailing. We're calling attorneys. We can't pay this. There's no way I can pay 6000 plus my own mortgage. This is nuts. I surrender. And so, uh, all right, I'll tell you one. Can I tell you one last funny story yeah. about all this yeah. nightmare? Because my wife didn't leave me. Right. She was very, you know, she she saw good in me, saw I was a good heart and I was just an idiot. So I 
I, I laugh at this story, but I, I knew I needed a car. So I had this old car and it, was, it had too much miles. I was driving, in, you know, 80 miles a day. So I said, I had to get a car before all this collapse hits and I have to file bankruptcy and have no credit. So I go to this car dealer, a test drive a car. And I said, okay, this is the one I want. It's like a 25,000 US car, $25,000, slightly used. And the guy says, okay, great. We're just going to run your credit. And I am f- crossing my fingers. I'm like, please, God, don't let this stuff have hit the credit agencies yet. Well, the guy comes back. I don't know if you guys have ever seen computer paper, green bar paper. And he had a stack. It looked like a ream of paper. And he said, uh, so is all is this all you? Do you own do you, do you all own all of these properties? And all I mean, I could not believe what the guy was showing me. So I said, um, yes. And he says, Are you making this is where this is what one would call a lie. He says, Are you making payments on this? I said, Oh, absolutely. So I walked out with the car and I said, I'm not gonna be able to keep this car. They're gonna call it back and I'm just gonna be screwed. I'm gonna go to jail. I have no money. I didn't know what bankruptcy meant. I knew I was going to be filing it. And it was just, it was a nightmare. I mean, talk about sleepless nights. My wife couldn't sleep. That's my story. So, and dread. Can you remember what was the worst day when, like, you know, you emotionally, either yourself individually or your wife and yourself really came to the conclusion, like, I really, really lost this? I think it was gradual because I was in denial because mm-hmm. yep. I was, I mean, I'm such a creative fix it person, yep. but that time driving the car, the car that I just drove off the lot, I said, they're going to take this back. And I'm, I'm, I'm that guy, right. That I, I'm going to have no credit. They're going to yep. repossess stuff. I'm going to lose the house, this beautiful house we just bought uh, a few years ago. And I'm going to lose that now. It's like this, this is a disaster. So it was, it was a very Gradual. low, I don't know if it was a day, but it was definitely a very low point in my life. And I had to act. I was a sales leader. I could not bring this to the job. Mm. So I had this, you know, complete <laughs> yeah. crap show going on at home my finances and I was acting like the world's best sales leader. And and I think a lot of people yeah. are in that situation where you're struggling with personal, you know, your, your personal decisions. And I know I've, I've made some mistakes when I was the president of CFA society here, a chartered financial analyst. And, you know, here I was making some really bad financial decisions, you know, that just, it, I just felt so ashamed that, you know, and I, I wouldn't, wouldn't have shared it at that time because yeah. I felt like, you know, it just, but now as I look back, so I think for the listeners out there, you know, there are times that we're doing things that we, you know, it's not illegal what I was doing. I was just making some bad mistakes <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's, that's just part of life. So, you know, my dad once said to me, you don't have to share it with the world. If you've made mistakes and all that, you know, you don't have to go out there and in the middle of it and make it worse, you know, and I think now part of this podcast is after we get through it all, we can look back and learn from it. So let me ask you, what lessons did you learn from this experience? Number one, get a financial advisor that you trust and tell them what you're thinking. 
because somebody should have talked me out of that if I just, I talked to people, but I didn't really want to listen. And the key thing was, and someone said, well, how are you going to manage properties out of state? And I said, these guys got it covered. Well, when you have to get a, on a plane to look at properties, I mean, that's not a good thing. You want to be able to drive by and see what's going on. Then if you have to do something, great. But just hoping that everything's going well when your floors are rotting out, you know, that's you got to talk to somebody and and bounce the idea off of them and say, tell me why this is not a good idea. And I'm going to argue for that it's a good idea and we'll see who wins. Mm. And, yep. you know, if you're honest with yourself, I never would have been able to win that one. Yep. So maybe I'll just share a couple of things that I took away from it. You know, the funny thing about business is ultimately we have to rely on others. You cannot build a sustainable business without relying on others whether they're suppliers, whether they're customers that you're relying on to pay you and all that, whether they're employees, business partners. But yet we can also go wrong in the people that we rely on. And that's kind of the paradox. So my first takeaway is, you know, spend some time thinking about who you're committing to do something with because chances are you're going to be with them a lot longer than you think. That's number one. Number two is after studying more than 400 episodes and interviewing people now, 450 or so, I've seen six common mistakes. And the number one common mistake is failed to do their own research. So I think that what you were just talking about is that idea of, of doing some research, doing some thinking about it, talking to someone who's, you know, a valuable person to you and getting their feedback. And of course, listening to that. Yeah, right. And then number two, most common, the second most common mistake is fail to properly assess and manage risk. And I think that, you know, for all of us, when we get excited about a particular project, we get overly excited and then we don't even really look at the risks in a lot of cases. So mm. I think that's a real good yeah. lesson to take time to figure out who it is that you're going to rely on. It's amazing the number of people on the podcast that will just they'll be really tough at work and they'll be really tough in many aspects of their life. And then a stranger will come along and say, Hey, why don't you give me, you know, $50,000 and I'll do X, Y, Z. And they go, okay, yeah, let's try. What? Yeah. Huh? So yeah. <laughs> those are my takeaways. Anything you'd add to that? No, those are great. I mean, uh, I, I think that really nails it. So yep. great stuff. So, so based upon, you know, what you learned from this story and what you continue to learn, I want you to, Put yourself in the shoes of that young man or woman who's listening right now, who is about to take that step into this proposition that they're facing. It looks exciting. It looks like the big yeah. breakaway. And what one action would you recommend that they take to avoid suffering the same fate? So I think this is a, the answer I would go with now is to have a team of smart people around you and bounce it off the team. So if it's one person, it's a team of one or and you, but if you get two or three people that you're in a room and you're saying, this is what I'm thinking, because I mean, if it's, I didn't blow any money of my own at mm. first. It was after, right? When it all hit the fan. So I thought it was great. I was telling people, but I didn't want to listen. You, I was, you know, I felt like this was the answer, but if I had a couple of people in the room and they started asking me questions, which I didn't know. What happens if they didn't pay? What happens if they don't pay? Right? I mean, that that would have been a good question to ask because I couldn't pay for it, 
Right. So that, that might have ended it right there. So, yeah, that's great advice. And I think for the listener out there, there may be some young listeners that are listening and go, but I don't have those people or I don't know where to, you know, or I don't have the money to join that network or whatever. It doesn't have to be paid. You can literally reach out to people and there's plenty of older folks that are on LinkedIn or right. in your life around the corner, a guy that owns a little shop and just, you can literally go up to him and say, I respect you because you're running a successful business. I have a business idea and I'd like to present it to you and just get your feedback. Do you, do you have 15 minutes that I could do that? I don't think many people are going to refuse that. And if they do, right. then you've just identified someone, you know, that you just don't want to talk to. So, well, there's nonprofits, by the way, like the, in the U.S., we have a nonprofit called SCORE. SCORE, yep. Which will, is made up of people like me and others who are, I mean, I'm part of SCORE now just because mm. I've, <laughs> it's like, hey, I'm going to help someone else here because yep. I didn't know about SCORE. But that's good. And there, there's others that are tied into the Small Business Administration. There are groups out there and you just have to look them up and they'll do it for free. Reach out. Yeah. So last question, what is your number one goal for the next 12 months? Yeah, my number one goal is to get this book, Selling with Dignity, into hands of thousands of people because I feel that I can help people have life-changing results in the way they position and sell themselves. And I want to share that. And what we'll do is it will help people to have better careers, I mean, better businesses, they'll be better for their families, better outlook for the future, and it will drive economies. So I know it's a huge goal, but it's what I want to do. It's a great goal. You're on a mission. I'm on a mission, baby. In fact, the book was actually going to be called Sell Like It's Your Mission. And so someone asked me, a friend of mine says, well, what's that about? And I said, it's like, bringing dignity back to sales. It's, it's selling with dignity and being honest. And he says, there's your title. Mm. And I love the title. I mean, I love selling like your mission, but it's not, people don't get it. If you're not part of a mission, you're not yeah. going to get it. Dignity, you're going to get it's home. right? Yeah. It reminds me of a saying that I use in one of my presentations about for financial advisors where it's, are we really putting investors first? And in it, I tell the story of my family. And basically I tell the story and I say, at the end, I, I go through it all the time and say, if you use this one statement, treat your client as you would your mother. Right. And I, I use that story mainly because, you know, I've, very close to my mom and she lives with me and all that. And I, I intertwine, you know, my mom and dad's story in that, but you know, there is a mission there. And I think I like, I like what you're doing. And for all the listeners out there to join the mission, just go either to the show notes. You can also go directly to Amazon and go type in selling with dignity. It's up there or go to the show notes and I've got all the links, or you can go to selling with dignity and get involved and get in that mission. So listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. Remember to go to myworstinvestmentever.com and join our Facebook group to connect with our community of guests and fellow listeners. 
As we conclude, Harry, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. And on behalf of ASTOTS Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst awesome. investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Yes, the parting words are stick with what you're doing, get better at it. I mean, I'm here to help, but there's plenty of resources. Be patient. And even if you're going through some tough times, you'll get through it, right? I went through those tough times and I'm laughing about it now, right? So Andrew, you're awesome. I love your story. Keep on doing the great work that you're doing and then you're helping tons of people. So heart your goes word, out to your you, words are well received by our audience and also by me. And we are on a mission. And now you have joined that mission to help millions to reduce risk in their life. And that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our well fellow risk takers. This is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stott, saying, I'll see you on the upside.